insights and analysis of today's rapidly shifting world. Welcome to the U.S. Patriot Show. Talk Radio's premier U.S. activist, Cindy Gross, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. You don't have to be Jewish to be part of our show. And now, your Jewess patriot, Cindy Gross. Hello, and welcome to the Jewess Patriot. I am your host, Cindy Gross. I am today's premier Jewish woman activist. And there is just so much to discuss. So we're going to get right into my opening pearls of wisdom because I am Zisel Peril, sweet pearl in Yiddish. I have a lot of pearls to discuss in a little time. So I am going to call this my strand of pearls for you to think about, follow up with me with, and discuss today and in the future. My first pearls of wisdom. Usually M comes before N, but in politics these days, N is leading the M's. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about how the four states with the letter M, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, and Minnesota, the very place where Real Talk Radio, uh, one of our syndicated radio stations is located, have all decided that they like the way New York is running. So they have now the trifecta of de- Democratic leadership from their governor and their state house of representatives and, and state senates. It's going to be very interesting to watch these states in 2023 and in the presidential election in 2024, because if they think New York is doing so great, they should come live here. They should see that since our November elections, the rate of people looking to leave permanently New York and go into states in the South, like North and South Carolina and Tennessee, besides Florida, is growing at a rate we haven't seen before. How the crime scene is so bad that even we saw this weekend, uh, this past weekend, and Fox meteorologist was attacked on the subway. We see in New York how the illegal immigrants have gotten their way to New York either by uh, uh, the buses or on their own and how they're getting arrested in gangs and groups for robberies and attacks on people. We see how Fashion Week coming up in a couple of weeks went from the biggest event in New York in February to something of days and how so many people are refusing to come to New York to participate in it. Yes, you will have some noise, but it's not what it used to be. So my message is to Maine, Maryland, Michigan, and Minnesota, what are you looking to accomplish? by having a no uh, checks and balance system and a one-party state. We already see how it has turned out for you. And, you know, while we're talking about watching Florida in 2024 and Pennsylvania, let's be realistic. Michigan 
went for Trump in 2016. Are you telling me that it's changed so much? And why has it changed? Is it because of the squad that hates America? Maryland. Maryland made history, and it's good because it shows Black History Month by having their first black governor. But is he a progressive that loves America the same way so many blacks loved America 100, 150 years ago that fought to live here and to have better lives for their children? So that's my first pearls of wisdom. My second pearls of wisdom has to do with education. As we are talking this week about Black History Month, it is very interesting to note that a black mayor and school chancellor in New York has decided to expand the charter school program. Let's see what happens with it. It's making news this week, despite the teachers' unions and despite the Democratic leadership all over the state, which is very interesting because a lot of people that are failing in these schools are blacks and other minorities. A lot of the teachers and administration in the school that you see daily involved in scandal, including my very own lawsuit, are black Democrats who have ties to the corrupt Democratic leadership and teachers union representatives around the five boroughs. So I think we have to look at that very carefully with our pearls of wisdom and work together, black and white, young and old, Democrat and Republican, to improve our schools. Because the only thing that's going to be good that helps our future is good education, proper American history, pride in America, taught at a young age by qualified professionals. And my third pearls of wisdom is talking about Black History Month. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, we have a huge show with three guests. We're going to talk about the past, the present, and the future. Because there is a beautiful history of blacks and Jews, of blacks and whites together. And if it's up to the left, they will change our history forever. But the guest we have won't let it happen, and neither will I. Sit back, stay tuned. We'll be back after this commercial. Welcome back to Cindy's Political Corner. And joining us now is a very familiar face to you. His words are also extremely well-known to you because he writes for The Federalist, The Hill. You've seen him on Fox News. Uh, Jason D. Hill is a proud, black, pro-Israel conservative in the year 2022. So thank you so much for joining us at Cindy's Political Corner. Hi, Cindy. Thank you for having me. So Jason and I are friends. We actually met several years ago 
at the Jerusalem Post Conference in New York. And then shortly afterwards, we were at the Zionist Organization of America's uh, Galler, and where he was honored, actually, for his work standing with Israel and Christian Zionist and supporting Israel. So first of all, I want to thank you for all the work that you have done way before it was popular. Thank you. And for taking a stand. And tell us a little bit about why this is such an important uh, topic for you and why you are such a leading voice in it. Well, Sydney, I I grew up in Jamaica and um, my grandmother's father was a Sephardic Jew. And uh, so there's a little bit of ancestry there, but that really has nothing to do with it. I have been a student of civilizations for a long time. And there are two things that come to mind. One is I've always been in awe of what I call in the hierarchy of civilizations, uh, the, the, the blatant putative superiority of Jewish civilization, of people who have survived intact for millennia through several diaspora and, and have kept their civilization intact and have made enormous contributions to Western and to world civilizations. And then I began to study Israeli politics very, very carefully, because I think that Israel is America's alter ego in the Middle East. And um, I'm a very, I I still remain an advocate of Prime Minister, well, then Prime Minister Netanyahu. Um, And I began to study the history of Israel, and I began to study Israeli politics. And I realized that what's what's good for Jewish civilization and what's good for Israel is good for the world. And that Judea and Samaria, I got sick and tired of, just as I got sick and tired of the America phobia in this country, I got sick and tired of the anti-Semitism and the anti-Israel phobia that are part of the idea of pathogens infecting our society. And I wrote this article defending Prime Minister Netanyahu's right to annex, if he so chose, to annex Judea and Samaria. I hate the term West Bank. It's Judea and Samaria. Those are the indigenous the indigenous lands that belong to Israel um, that predate Islamic occupation of, of, of those regions. And, um, I, and I think that Israel, is, again, is a sort of both a technological and a civilizational treasure trove in the world that we must, when we ostensibly point to um, certain countries in the world that function as um, catalysts for growth in spiritual, moral, and technological developments, Israel comes to the forefront of my mind. So my commitments are both spiritual and they are both political and moral when it comes to defending the right of Israel. I hate to say it, the right of Israel to exist. I mean, the audacity of people to question the right of any country or its people to exist, right? But now you sort of have to preface, uh, which goes to show you the sort of anti-Semitism and the anti-Israeli sentiments that are permeating the world that you have to sort of preface things like Israel has a right to exist. Well, you know, we wouldn't say that about Spain or Norway or Germany. No, and I have to tell you, we are discussing this around the birth and uh, Dr. Martin Luther King honoring his work. And as I said in my opening, he really worked hand in hand with the Jewish people. And he had a lot of very positive dreams for minorities And you look at school systems in Baltimore, in New York, in L.A., in Chicago, and how uh, progressives have taken advantage of the Black and minority communities 
And you have to think, was this his dream? I mean, you work on a college campus. You think that this is what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had in mind? Most certainly not. And what people also forget, which is another um, check for my commitment to Jewish civilization, is the enormous contributions that Jews made to the civil rights movement. In fact, in my previous book, We Have Overcome, I really, really did spell out quite clearly how without Jewish contribution, both financial in terms of free legal uh, aid and um, contributions to schools, the civil rights movement might never have gotten off the ground. The Jews are the heroes of the civil rights movement. And this is not Martin Luther King's dream. I mean, Martin Luther King had working also with Abraham Heschel, the great Jewish theologian, um, that people should, of course, be judged by the content of their character and their values and the the principles that suffuse their character and make them into the the human beings that they are. And what we find happening is that the evil left-wing orthodox um, individuals are creating a bifurcation between Blacks and Jews today, creating Jews as an artificial enemy of Black people by keeping a large part of the history of the enormous contributions that Jews made to the emancipation and freedom of Blacks in this country. I'm shocked that when I bring this up in my classes, most of my students have no idea of the constitutive role that Jews played in the civil rights movement. So it's a sort of willful, deliberate decision on the part of our educators or intellectuals to keep Black people and people in general ignorant of the, the contributions that Jews have made to the civil rights movement and continue to make towards Black freedom and Black, Black emancipation in those pockets where we find that there is real systemic oppression, usually coming from the left. Right. <laughs> well, I have to say that there are Jews still supporting Black Lives Matter. And I think that Dr. King would be shocked at some of the destruction and hate coming out of that group. That was not him at all. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, Black Lives Matter is a nefarious, I call them a sort of quasi-terrorist organization when you look at the sort of havoc that they wreak on this country, uh, advocating the tearing down of U.S. banks, the destruction of the economy. Dr. Martin Luther King was not for the destruction of America he loved his country. He was a great patriot. He was great. He was very critical of aspects of his country that kept blacks outside the domain of the ethical. And he certainly would not be calling Israel a genocidal apartheid state, which is part of the mantra of Black Lives Matter, which I think is, is both libelous and slanderous. I also think he would really be against the idea that uh, blacks get uh, elevated or promoted through the color of their skin rather than their merit, because there are so many talented people that are of color and minorities that are being overlooked because they're not in the right place in the right situation to get the promotions that they actually deserve. That's right. And that's going to lead me to my next question. question with you in discussion you and I both have something else in common we both saw critical race theory for lack of a better term way before it was popular this year especially from school boards because you are an educator I was an educator and we both faced discrimination and retaliation for speaking the truth about what is going on in the environments we worked in I don't know how much you're allowed to discuss, but can you tell us a little bit about your experiences and your lawsuit? Well, the lawsuit really stems from the article I wrote in The Federalist defending Israel's right to um, 
to a next Judean Samaria and also to paint a significant portion of the Palestinian people as national security threats to Israel because they do vote terrorist organizations like the Palestinian Authority, which is a terrorist organization, and Hamas in the power. So I made also the subsequent argument that if Israel wanted to sort of, after a thorough vetting process, disenfranchise certain uh, blocks of Palestinian people from voting because they vote terrorists in the organizations. They certainly had that right. And, and, and so I was subjected to a censure that was illegal because it went against the terms of my contract and the way it was done. And I was called a genocidal war criminal and an Arab hater. And uh, what else? A genocidal war criminal, an Arab hater, and um, a racist, and all sorts of nefarious names. So the lawsuit really stems from that. But this really builds on the idea of some of what critical race theory advances, which is that Jews are in collusion with whites to systemically oppress a minority class of blacks. And I've been in the classroom, I've been a professor for 25 years in the university now, and I've seen, I've seen the, the, the beginnings of the second and the third iterations of critical race theory, where we have this idea somehow that there is a reason to condemn white people for having white skin and white privilege that if they, that if it, it goes so far that if you have white skin and you have white privilege, which includes Jews, that you are a walking practitioner of systemic racism and that your white privilege that's conferred on you by nature is used almost unconsciously or consciously to keep blacks outside the domain of the human community and to keep them oppressed. That's, that's it in a nutshell, that, that racism suffuses every institution. Paradoxically, you notice that the critical race theorists don't talk about anti-Semitism at all. All they really talk about is the sort of systemic injustice that's inflicted against Blacks by, um, by people who have what they term the, the, the privilege of white skin. So you have a best-selling book out that's been out for a couple of months. What do white Americans owe Black people? Racial justice in the age of post-oppression. Tell us a little bit about your book. And of course, people can get it on Amazon and in stores nationwide. That's right. Well, this book is a follow-up book to my previous book, We Have Overcome an Immigrant's Letter to the American People, where I just got really sick and tired, Cindy, of the kind of ideopathogens that were... um, suffusing our culture and one of the idea pathogens is that reparations are due to black people because of the residual effects of slavery and um critical race theory and also the 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 idea of the abolition of whiteness which i deal go to great lengths to show that there are a coterie of intellectuals like tanahisi goats ibram kendi who argue that black liberation depends on the annihilation of whiteness, which I think is just a code word for the annihilation of, of white people from the face of the earth. So I really wanted to address the whole issue of reparation and to show that since the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which I put as a third founding of, of our great republic, this, the 1776 was the first, the, the Lincoln's address at Gettysburg and the Civil War the second, and the 64 Civil Rights Act, that the right has been wrong. Um, the wrong has been righted, I should say, And that through the affirmative action programs and through the 1972 Employment Act, um, and even going back to 1776, I show the various moments in which the American Republic 
has made reparative gestures towards Black, that there's nothing more that we can ask of a free society short of going into a bloated totalitarian state that the state can do for Blacks anymore. And I also show the pathologies that exist in the Black community that are function more as a uh, as, a, as an explanation for why the asymmetries and disparities exist between or among the races. That is, 74%, for example, of African-American children are born on a wedlock, and about 70% of that 74% is causally linked to poverty and crime. Um, this is not the problem of the creation of whites, and this is not a problem of slavery, because prior to the 19th the 60s and the Great War on Poverty and Lincoln's Great Society program, um, the out of birth wedlock rate was something like um, 22%. Um, so you found Blacks marrying at a higher degree during the height of segregation. Um, and I also just wanted to end on a really optimistic note in the book where I say that radical forgiveness um, is a much more viable option and moving forward with our compatriots to build an America in which we're unified by common principles is much better than reparations, which I think would be, first of all, highly divisive in this country because it's punishing people. There are no white people today who own slaves and there are no black people today who are slaves. And the majority of whites, incidentally, as I showed, who um, are, are alive today, their ancestors actually came after the Civil War. So the issue of ancestral guilt, which is quite evil, um, is untenable. And the idea of punishing people because they are white um, is a form of inverse race. It was just a form of racism. So I, just, I wanted to talk about and show the connection between that and the 60s, the 60s, the radical 60s revolutionary studies where activism and, and advocacy superseded scholarship and learning. Um, in the universities and really established the, the groundwork for critical race theory and also for cancel culture, which I talk about in the book. So it is 2022. It's a crucial year for elections on a local, state, and national level. And I know myself, I am working around the country with talented uh, Black men and women who are running in their respective seats as candidates and are strong constitutionalists and conservatives and want school choice. Mm -hmm. They want the American dream. And uh, as we're closing, what is your advice as a man of color to your community in regards to being a conservative pro-Israel in, in America in 2022? Well, I would say that we have to start looking for, I'm a conservative independent who's usually a voted Democrat. I, I've never actually voted Republican, although I'm rethinking my position on that right now, because the Democratic Party has grown so far left, Cindy, that it's all to change the political DNA of this country and usher in a Marxist socialist regime. That is, that is their goal. So my advice would be, Look for those individual candidates who stand for individual rights, who stand for the free market economy, who stand for liberty and freedom. And also just try to get divest yourself of the notion that the Democratic Party cares about minorities. They don't. It's all about power and it's all about pandering to a victim 
mentality or a, a, what I call the cult of victimology. What they do is they expropriate the agency of black agencies of black people and tell them that they're helpless against a status quo that is out to get them, which is not true. I will go as far as saying that today blacks are the new sacred cows or the new sacred symbols to use a more refined term in our society today where institutions are bending over backward uh, to bring them into positions of leadership. So, you know, Candace Owens has this thing, get off the plantation. Um, I don't always agree with her, but I think this is, this is the message I would send. Start looking for those candidates who really are advocating school choice, um, advocating um, charter schools, advocating um, lower taxes for small businesses that will then be incentivized to employ and to train, especially lower income Blacks. I work with an organization that we try to help um, um, expand the, the felony records from Black, mostly Black and Hispanic men and women who have served their time and to try to get organizations to hire them, to train them. They've paid their dues. They've paid for their crimes. Um, this is not in the interest of, 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 of liberals. We saw where Donald Trump, one of the good things about Trump's policies was that he was trying to give a second chance um, through his work with Kim Kardashian um, to ex-felons, um, which was a wonderful policy of his. My disagreements with him on many issues notwithstanding, one has to give credit where it's due. So I would say stop, people should stop just sort of like in a mindless blanket way endorsing candidates because they are Democrats and start looking really at the work that other candidates are doing that are not just enhancing Black agency, but are enhancing the interests of our nation, of which we are the beneficiaries. So what's good for America and what's good for freedom and liberty will be good for for Blacks as well. Jason, I am lucky enough to call you friend. My my followers are going to want to follow you and get to know you better and buy your book. Where is uh, the best place for them to reach out to you? Well, they can reach out to me on my web website, which is www.jasondamianhill.com. My middle name is D-A-M-I-A-N, jasondamianhill.com. Or uh, follow me on Twitter at jasondhill6 on Twitter, my Twitter handle. Um, or Facebook, uh, Dr. Jason D. Hill, uh, 1913. And I love my Facebook fans because, I, I, in fact, I thank them in my book because they're, they're just such stalwart supporters of my well, work. Well, they should be. Your work is incredible. I personally know the work you do supporting Israel, and I know the personal sacrifices you have made for standing up for the Black-Jewish relationship in America today. Jason D. Hill, thank you so much for joining Cindy's Political Corner. Thank you, Cindy. Best of luck. Thank you. Joining the Jewess Patriot is a name and a face you all know. He's a national media personality, host on Newsmax. uh, And uh, in New York, he ran for senator against Chuck Schumer. And I must be honest with you, Joe Pinion did amazingly well, considering he had basically no money, no statewide support, and he really ran a grassroots campaign and came within single digits of winning. 
in New York against Chuck Schumer. Think about that. I had the honor of getting to know Joe on the campaign trail. And if you want to know about the importance of Black-Jewish relations, I had a wonderful experience with Joe as he went to visit one of the most sacred places and meet some of the most important rabbis and Jewish leaders in Queens, New York. Joe, thank you for joining us on this very important uh, show, the discussion of Black-Jewish relations yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Joe, you are a rising star in the Republican and Conservative Party, but you are also a common sense voice. Tell us what you saw touring every county, going upstate, downstate, cities, suburbs, farmlands. What did you see in New York that you could relate to a national audience in regard to the black Jewish relations and what is going on today? Well, look, I, I think first and foremost, we have to recognize that we all share the same problems. I'm from Yonkers, New York, uh, which is the third largest city in New York State uh, outside of New York City. But then you go to upstate New York, uh, whether you're talking about Syracuse, New York, or whether you're talking about Buffalo, New York, or whether you're talking about Rochester, New York, uh, they're all the same problems. Families working very hard uh, to get less than they deserve. Uh, New York leading the nation in outward migration. Uh, New York being impacted by the fentanyl crisis. It's a direct result of our leaders down in D.C. Uh, not taking the sovereignty of this great nation seriously. So that is the backdrop drop uh, to communities that have been turned into shooting galleries because the needs of the criminal have been elevated over the uh, actual responsibility to the common man. Uh, and then there is the deeper tapestry of America, the deeper tapestry of black communities and Jewish communities that is started with this mutual purpose, uh, this desire to have safety, security, and freedom uh, that was codified with the Jewish people, with the Jewish state of Israel, uh, that was then cemented uh, with the work of tireless uh, crusaders for justice, people like Swerner and Goodman, uh, who went to their graves uh, in a uh, basically uh, in search of freedom for black people, uh, knowing uh, concretely uh, that the fate of Jewish people and the fate of black people here in this nation are entwined. So uh, certainly uh, when we look at the rise of anti-Semitism, the fire is burning in many ways like never before, uh, a resurgence of anti-Semitism, uh, shockingly, uh, in a place like New York, uh, the greatest uh, home to Jewish people not living in the Jewish state of Israel, uh, we know that there is work to be done. Uh, there is a torch that must be carried. And I think that together uh, we can find our way home again. What would you say to people like new Senate minority leader Hakeem Jeffries or uh, the congresswoman, uh, yes, who recently uh introduced legislation about white supremacy um, from Texas or some of the other leaders in the uh, Democratic Party who are Black and who are really not addressing the relationship of Blacks and Jews in a positive way. Look, I, I think first and foremost, we just have to talk about the positive relationship between Americans. Uh, we seem to have individuals 
um, in concert with a complicit mainstream media uh, that love to say that they're on the side of the angels, love to say that they are here to unify this nation, all while they double down and triple down on some of the vilest and most divisive uh, rhetoric we've seen uh, in eons. So I, I think we have to start there, saying that you cannot unite a nation if you're constantly condemning half the nation simply because they don't agree with you politically. And I think that that extends into what we see right now at a time when black people certainly need the support of the Jewish community, where the Jewish community uh, certainly needs the support of black communities, uh, where they have decided there's only one way to be black and there's only one way to be Jewish. And the hard truth is that uh, in, if such were the case, uh, that neither Jewish people nor black people would have the prosperous, robust uh background uh, that has allowed us to make such great input uh, to uh, the founding of this nation and the thriving of this nation. Uh, so I think that we just have to take a step back and realize that as my grandfather told me a very long time ago, you cannot save what you do not love. You have to have love in your heart for your neighbor. And I think that if we're going to have a new covenant uh, amongst black people, Jewish people, but amongst all Americans, we have to make a wholehearted decision that we are not going to allow those who peddle division to continue to sit at the head of the table and act as if they speak on our behalf. I'm embarrassed to say the most dangerous person I think in America today is Randy Weingarten, who happens to be Jewish. And I think that her work is actually hurting the black communities the most because of the failing public schools in mostly minority neighborhoods and mostly in democratic neighborhoods. And I think that's a big part of the problem. And I want your thoughts on that because you, you know, education was a very big issue on your campaign and something you have discussed before you ran and you continue to talk about after your run. Let's be very clear, right? Uh, we have schools that are not working. Uh, people love to talk about whether it's public schools or charter schools. That's a long debate. I'm on the side of school choice. But more importantly, we just need to have schools that work. And if you're a person who can't sit here and look at the fact that in every decade of my life, we spend more money educating less children for worse results, then you're just not being honest. And the fact remains is that no matter what they want to say, the thing that they can't run from is the truth, and the truth is supported by the data, and the data tells us that 70% of black children in New York City uh, are not reading at grade level. The data tells us that 60% of all children across the state of New York are not reading uh, at grade level. Uh, that's not my opinion. That's just the hard truth. You go down uh, I-95 and down to Baltimore, you have 75% of the high school students reading at an elementary school level. All across this country, we have children trapped in schools that are not giving them the tools they need to become the best version of themselves. And I've said it many times, uh, it is not akin to child abuse. It is child abuse. And what future do you have in this rapidly changing world uh, if you do not have mastery over something as basic as the ability to read the words on the page, on the ballot, in the books, 
it's it's almost as if they have gaslit America into forsaking the future that was promised. And uh, you can talk about all the pronouns you want, but the children can't spell the pronouns or in bad shape. You can talk about all the policies you want, but if the children can't read the names on the ballot, we're in bad shape. So this is essential. Uh, it is a civil rights issue of our time. And I say now to anyone paying attention, uh, those who stand in the way of the school choice, stand in the way of the actual pedagogical solutions that we know are actually going to be giving people a pathway to success and opportunity in this country. They're no different than the George Wallace's of the world. Uh, it is that serious. It is that stark. And again, if people are offended by it, perhaps it should be more offended uh, by the lack of prosperity and opportunity that our children have because of these disastrous policies. Would you consider running again for public office? Look, I, as I told people many times, uh, I uh, I had no life ambition to run for U.S. Senate. Uh, 2022 was not circled on a, a bucket list of things to do in life, but I thought uh, that we had the opportunity to step forth, uh, to bring a message to the people, and in the end, uh, the result was not what we liked. I did not quit my job to finish second in the two-man race, but second we did finish. Uh, but look, uh, 2.5 uh, million New Yorkers went to the polls uh, and filled in a bubble next to my name. Uh, it is an eternally humbling experience. And I think when you look at it in the context of somebody like Chuck Schumer, uh, who effectively outspent us 40 to 1, uh, dropped $9 million on us in the last 14 days of a campaign, even though he'd been in D.C. for 42 years, even though he'd been in the United States Senate for 24 years, the Senate Majority Leader for the Nation, $9 million coming down the stretch against little old us. Uh, it tells you that he knew that he was in trouble. Uh, the only people that didn't seem to think uh, that we were on the precipice of knocking them off were the people there um, at the, uh, at the uh, NRSC and some other places. Uh, but again, I, I think that we knew that we had an opportunity uh, to make history here. I think that the people of New York demonstrated that they are ready for change. And what the future holds, I do not know. Uh, I put it in God's hands, but certainly uh, will continue to do what I can, where I can, uh, in order to help my community uh, to turn this country around. And if that means running for office again, uh, if the opportunity makes sense, uh, and if people determine that that's something they would like to see me do, uh, then I'm certainly happy uh, to uh, put my money where my mouth is, so to speak, uh, and make sure that we can stand up for the values and the principles that we hold dear. Uh, any last thoughts you want to share with us before, uh, before we have to go to the commercial? No, I think, again, just reminding people that uh, America is not an accident, that we have to show up and do the work to preserve this nation that we love, whether you live in New York, whether you live in California or anywhere in between uh, black people, Jewish people. Uh, it is up to us. Uh, to make sure that we forge the future that we're proud of and forge the bonds uh, that will make our grandchildren proud. So uh, do the work, show up. Uh, it is never too little and it is never too late. Together, we're going to save this country. We're going to make sure we have an America we can all be proud of once again. Joe Pinion, I'm so honored to call you a friend. You are a leader. You are a voice for all people from every state. Uh, where can our audience find you and uh, reach out to you if they want? Absolutely. People can find me on social media. They can find me on uh, Facebook. They can find me on Twitter. 
Joseph Pinion, one word. They can find me on Instagram. I am Joe Pinion. Certainly they can find me, uh, you know, on the internet, joepinion.com, LinkedIn, you name it. So all the places you would think you can find me, I am there and look forward to hearing from everyone as we again enjoy a beautiful 2023. Again, uh, just around the corner, local elections matter. Uh, the national elections matter. So, uh, yes, we've had some time off, but it's time to get back to work, folks. Joe Pinion, thank you for joining us on the Jewess Patriot. Absolutely. God bless. Thank you. Welcome back to this very special episode of the Jewess Patriot, discussing Black-Jewish relations yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And our next guest is no stranger to anybody who uh, goes on TV. He's a contributor at Fox. He's appeared in endless interviews in radio and television. He writes regularly for many, many conservative publications. DeRoy Murdoch, I know you many years because you have always been at the forefront, standing and fighting uh, with leaders in the Jewish community, whether or not it was the Iran nuclear deal. We fought in 2015 together in Times Square or at rallies in Times Square fighting the squad. You are probably one of the most outspoken black conservatives today. And I really am so happy that you decided to be a part of this very special show. Cindy, it's great to be with you again. I'm uh, pleased to chat with you about this important issue and also to uh, share these ideas and views with your listeners. So we all know, and we've had this discussion throughout this ta- uh, the show, about the relationship between uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and the Jews and how important we were together working towards the civil rights movement and the growth of America during the 1960s. You have been out there now a while and discussing so many issues. And one of them is the black Jewish relationship. Tell me what it's like to be a black conservative standing up for Israel, standing up for American Jewish issues in the year 2023. Well, in the year 2023, I'm doing what I've done since I was probably in junior high or high school. And that is, to uh, have many uh, Jewish friends um, attend their family celebrations, uh, go to Broadway shows with them, go out for dinner and drinks with them, uh, socialize with with the Jews of uh, all walks of life. And then from a political standpoint, uh, be be a a very loud and and vocal and energetic and enthusiastic supporter of Israel and of the Jewish people. So for me, this has not been uh, difficult at all. It's what I've done uh, for probably the better part of the last 40 years or so, I'd imagine. Uh, and I do, unfortunately, at the same time as somebody who's very active in American public affairs, I've been, I continue to be disappointed at how uh, so many, uh, particularly Democrat and liberal uh, Blacks, uh, attack Jews, attack Israel, uh, make uh, anti-Semitic remarks, uh, blame Jews for all sorts of things for which they're not culpable, and um, engage in uh, sort of anti-Zionism and often very pro-Palestinian, even pro-terrorist uh, type rhetoric. So I've been very saddened by that. And it, it doesn't seem to be based on anything I can I can uh, um, put my finger on. You know, it's not like oh, the, this particular Jewish group did ter- something terrible to Black folks, or Israel attacked 
black Americans or there, there's some basis for this. It seems just uh, you know utterly baseless anti-Semitism, uh, just sort of for anti-Semitism's sake. Well, you brought up something that not too many people discuss and I actually could relate to. I have so many black friends and uh, when we go out to dinner or we do things together, we'll go to a show or sit at fashion week, whatever it is, we don't look at each other by the color of our skin or, you know, slavery or anything like that. We look at each other as brothers and sisters. And we, you know what, if you look, especially with woke education and woke entertainment, you they want us to see how many blacks and whites hang out together, get married, have children together. And yet they want to have at the same time this hatred among Jews and blacks. And they want to spur that uh, opinion because it's not fact. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, this is something that you see going on all the time. You know, people and uh, people on the left love to focus on what they call systemic racism and what a bigoted country this is. And uh, whites have uh, internalized racism against blacks and on and on and on. And yet you look around and you see so many, as you say, uh, mixed race couples, You've got children who are multiracial with a, a black mother and a, a white uh, father. Or maybe it's a Jewish uh, uh, mother and a, and a Christian father, what have you. And there's all this racial and, and uh, even religious mixture going on. And uh, still from the Wokistani people and the critical race theory folks and all that, uh, they just ignore all this. They, they ignore the fact that, uh, for example, not only did we have for eight years with Barack Obama, a, our first black president, but in fact, he was really our first mixed race president because he's half black and half white. We focus on the black half, which is his father, not the white half, who is his mother. But he's just very much a reflection of the fact that a lot of these uh, racial uh, divisions that used to exist are evaporating so much so that people are getting married and having kids together. Uh, and uh, people like the uh, critical race, three, fo- uh, three people, Ibrahim um, X. Kendi, the 1619 Project folks, they don't want to uh, focus on any of that. They just want to focus on their their big hobby horse of, of, of uh, what they call systemic racism. And really critical race theory is essentially a religion without forgiveness. All it is is a religion that just accuses people of either being uh, white oppressors or black victims and any racial progress that takes place, they e- either ignore, uh, dismiss, uh, minimize, or attack. And that's very sad. And it, it doesn't move our country forward. It just moves our country backward. Because you do so much research and you interview so many people and are part of uh, panels, who do you think is the most dangerous person today in regards to spurring the hate, especially the anti-Semitism? I think really the hate is it's widespread. And I think it really comes out of the whole critical race theory, folks. I mean, you have people like Al Sharpton who will open his mouth and say obnoxious, awful things, but it's pretty easy to ignore a guy like Al Sharpton, much more nefarious are people like, uh, um, I think her name is, I'm blanking the name right now, but uh, uh, D'Angelo, I think is her last name. She's one of the big critical race theory people. As I mentioned, Abraham X. Kendi, the people who've been pushing the 1619 Project. Uh, there's some professors, a lot of many professors who push this kind of thing. And they're much more nefarious because a lot of these people kind of work behind the scenes. They work on school boards. They work in university administrations. Uh, they're the people at, uh, at various school boards or the people who buy the textbooks and, and plan the curricula and so on. Those people are none, very few of those people are as famous as a, a guy like Al Sharpton, but there are thousands of them, maybe tens of thousands of them. They're in universities, they're in high schools, they're all the way down in elementary schools, they're in human resources departments, they're in corporate uh, 
uh, diversity and inclusion departments and so on. And those guys constantly spend, they, they basically earn their money. Their, their, their careers are based around uh, stirring up racial hatred between blacks and whites. And, and I imagine perhaps even between Jews and Christians. And what these people want is racial conflict. A lot of these are cultural Marxists in the same way the traditional Marxists want class struggle uh, the uh, the uh, bourgeoisie and the proletariat fighting with each other. The cultural Marxists want people fighting on the basis of race, on the basis of gender, on the basis of sexuality. And those people are not happy unless they can figure out some way to create clashes between groups of people in this country. And again, that's not a bug. That is a feature. And there are, again, thousands and thousands of people doing this. We probably don't know their names, but they're all over the place. And these people uh, are, I think, probably the biggest, not probably, I think they're definitely uh, the biggest uh, uh, propulsion machines for racism in this country today. Who do you think could be the leaders in the future to actually have an influence to uh, help the situation and bring back the black Jewish relations that was so strong in the 1960s? Well, I think uh, off the top of my head, somebody like Tim Scott's terrific. I think he's a wonderful U.S. Senator from South Carolina. He's definitely got uh, an attitude that's based on the idea of uh, reconciliation and trying to bring people together. Uh, I think some of the folks we see like Byron Donald's uh, in the U.S. House, he's also very well spoken on this sort of thing. Um, I want to see more efforts to bring Black people to Israel. I think that for Black folks to see what uh, people who are oppressed who just escaped the Holocaust were able to build in the Middle East to, to build this incredibly uh, dynamic and energetic and, and uh, um, innovative country, literally built on sand. Uh, in just a matter of a few decades. I think that's a very, very incredible and impressive uh, example of what oppressed people can do when they focus on uh, not forgetting their past, but not dwelling on so much they become paralyzed. And instead looking at uh, the future and actually building something positive. And if that brings Blacks and Jews together, all the better. Uh, There are lots of organizations that uh, that tried to take Americans uh, over to Israel to have that experience as I did back in uh, 2013, and I think folks who have that uh, ability to see Israel up close um, in person, I think will be very, as impressed as I was. I went over there as a friend of Israel. I came back as an even, even more friendly, uh, even more of a friend of Israel. And um, I think more of those sorts of uh, human to human contacts between um, American blacks and, and Jews in this country and, and uh, Jews in Israel, I think it would all be for the better. And of course, in Israel, you have a large population of Ethiopian Jews Correct. and then then comes the whole discussion of what if you're black and Jewish, which is a whole other topic in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you tell people? Because like I said, you're always researching and you're always on panels. What is going on in, well, it's, it's mostly in, in states where there are Democrats running it, but it happens to be Jews and blacks actually live together in communities. If you look at the areas they live in, they they really live close to each other. Mm-hmm. And which somehow is like a contradiction to this whole anti-Semitism going on because they gravitate kind of together. What is your answer to that when people question? Because I get asked this all the time and I just can't answer it. Well, you know, as you know, a, a lot of black folks live in urban areas. A lot of Jews live in urban areas. I live in, in Manhattan and I've got Jewish neighbors in my apartment building. I've got them across the street. Uh, you know, if you live on the Upper West Side, that's an area we have a lot of blacks, a lot of Jews living together. Somehow we seem to get along. OK, um, I know in places like Los Angeles, where I grew up, you've got blacks and Jews living uh, in West L.A., uh, in Culver City, where my mom and dad used to live. Uh, 
maybe to a lesser degree, but to some extent or another in places like uh, Beverly Hills and Santa Monica. Uh, and certainly they work together in the workplace. You see blacks and Jews working together in the workplace in all sorts of companies and corporations and, and schools across the country. So uh, we have black Jewish uh, harmony at the, at the widespread level, but at the, at the uh, sort of upper echelons is where you, you get these uh, racial troublemakers uh, among basically left-wing blacks, left-wing Democrats, who for whatever reason think that there's some, uh, I assume, political damage in, in uh, besmirching and, and tarring and, and uh, defaming Jews and defaming Israel. And it's, it's sad, it's unnecessary. And again, it's baseless. I mean, if, if there were some uh, group of Jews going around and beating up on blacks or burning down black churches or uh, wrecking black businesses, um, you know, I, I might see why there's some basis for these sorts of feelings or for this kind of rhetoric. But I, I please point to me what what the damage is that Jews are doing to blacks or have done to blacks, you know, anytime lately. Uh, maybe there's an isolated incident or two here or there you could find. But certainly on a, on a, a broad, widespread level, I don't see what Jews are doing to blacks to deserve this sort of uh, backlash in the other direction. I mean, I'm sort of baffled as to what the basis of this is other than, hey, let's just beat up on the Jews just, you know, for, for the sake of beating up on Jews as, as we've seen, unfortunately, over the last 5,000 or so years. Any last thoughts before we close? Oh, I, I just want the last thing I want to say is that uh, I went to uh, Israel through, through the uh, auspices of the American Israel Friendship League, AIFL, American, American, uh, American Israel Friendship League is a wonderful group that uh, takes Americans over to Israel and some Israel, Israelis to come to the United States. And it's the kind of uh, organization that builds a bridge between uh, Americans and Israelis and that sort of uh, human contact on one to one basis and seeing Israel up close and in person is a very positive thing. So uh, if you want to want to help an organization that does the kind of thing I'm talking about, uh, look for the American Israel Friendship League and uh, support them and their efforts to bring America, Americans and Israelis together. And where can our audience follow you and find out all your projects? You are always so busy. Uh, well, you know, if you Google me, you can see my uh, articles at American Spectator, National Review Online, FoxNews.com, uh, Newsmax, Daily Caller, and other conservative publications. Uh, you can watch me on the Fox News Channel. You can watch me on Fox Business Network. And um, I appear on uh, the radio on the Bill Martinez Show, uh, which is coast to coast, about 300 stations every week. And uh, also, if you're in the St. Louis area, I'm on the Annie Fry Show uh, every Wednesday afternoon at uh, about uh, roughly uh, 2 o'clock uh, Eastern Time, 1 o'clock Central Time. And uh, very happy to be on with the Jew a Jewish Patriot uh, and happy to appear with Cindy Gross anytime you'd like me on, on with you and your listeners. You're always welcome. You always inspire uh and you are one of the most interesting people I know. I'm going to have you on. We're going to talk about movies. We could talk about food. We could talk about theater, life in Manhattan. This is somebody that truly enjoys life. And you hear it even as he's discussing this topic. But not only does he talk about it, he actually researches and knows what he's talking about. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for sharing uh, Black History Month with us and uh celebrating the future positively of the black Jewish relations. DeRoy Murdoch, thanks again. Thank you very much, Cindy. My pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Thank you. What a show. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, you don't have to be Jewish with Cindy. You can download us on every major uh, media outlet like Spotify and iHeartRadio, on the various apps through the various radio shows you listen to us on. And follow my columns 
on the Times of Israel, Israel National News, Reactionary Times, the Manhattan, and other places around the world. See you next week.